0: Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. On this episode of Pondering Scripture, we're going to find ourselves in between James chapter 2 and James chapter 3. And I'm going to continue doing what I started when we began the study of James, and that is, give ourselves a break in between each chapter. In between chapter 1 and chapter 2, we had a study titled, Blessed Assurance. I hope that was of an encouragement to you. Well, in between James chapter 2 and James chapter 3, I've decided to have another topical study which I've titled, Profitable Paradoxes. And we'll see why it's titled such in a minute. But it comes from Second Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is explaining some things. Now, I think that in order to understand the nature of Paul's discussion, and then on top of that, glean from these discussions some benefit for ourselves, I want to set the context. So this first episode will deal with the first paradox that I consider to be profitable, and I hope you do as well, but we're going to have to set the context, so it's also serving as an introduction to the text of Second Corinthians chapter 6. Now, the nature of 2 Corinthians is slightly different than 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul dealt with miscellaneous problems in an exchange of letters from the Corinthians to Paul, where Paul was answering some questions that evidently they raised. But one of the things that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Paul dealt with was the presence of false teachers. They, especially in 1 Corinthians 15, were teaching false doctrine on the resurrection. They were saying there was no resurrection, and Paul made sure he handled that, but he warned the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is primarily dealing with false teachers it may not manifest itself right away in the epistle but what the apostle paul's trying to do in second corinthians is give a defense of himself a defense of his apostleship because there were those in the midst of the corinthians who were being of a negative influence to them and ultimately they were maligning paul to their faces so that they would turn away from paul and and give them the false apostles honor And the state of the Corinthians during the second epistle was dangerous. In the 11th chapter of Second Corinthians, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, "'Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness,' so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you preach a di- receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so they were listening to these false teachers and their myths. And it was, of course, obviously troubling to the Apostle Paul. And he had to make sure he turned them away from such and back to him, and thus back to the gospel, and thus back to God. In 2 Corinthians 11, again in verse 12, the Apostle Paul shows his efforts to cut off the opportunities of those false apostles. And ultimately, the boasting that he has in this epistle is, is something he felt he needed to do to cut them off and to bring the Corinthians back to himself. He says, What I do, I will also do. continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is of no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. They're false apostles. And the apostle of Christ that is Paul, is trying to cut off their work and gain the loyalty of the Corinthians back to himself and therefore to the gospel and to Christ. This is why he begins chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, which is the text which contains our particular topics of study. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You see, they'd received the grace of God. They'd become members of the Lord's body, but they were falling away and starting to listen to these false apostles. And so if they didn't turn back to God and be reconciled to God, as he appealed to them to do in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, then they would have been receiving the grace of God in vain. He continues, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In the previous chapter, as I alluded to, he called them to be reconciled to God, and he explained, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Essentially, when he began chapter 6, what he was saying is that if you turn away from God's grace now, if you're not reconciled to Him, then you're turning away from the gift of Christ's sacrifice. This, even though you receive the benefits of it at one point, you receive it in vain only to turn away from it later on. One of the ways the false apostles were gaining the trust of the Corinthians at Paul's expense and at God's expense was they were attempting to malign Paul's character and his person, obviously with false charges and with petty charges. But nevertheless, Paul had to disprove those charges and try to show his own integrity before the Corinthians to gain their trust back that had been damaged by false reports. In 2 Corinthians 1, and verse 12, the Apostle Paul had to begin to explain his honesty, saying, Our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have concluded ourselves, conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. This is the beginning of his defense of integrity concerning his plans, that he wasn't making plans lightly that he wasn't conducting themselves in a way that was with ulterior motives. The Apostle Paul made some plans, and those plans changed from their original items. And the false apostles charged him with duplicity. They claimed he was dishonest, and the Corinthians were buying that claim. So in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 1, he continued to explain in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. And he explained to pass by way to you uh, of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, Paul said, did I do it lightly or the things I planned? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. He's showing that he didn't plan differently than what he actually intended and showed them that plan and a way to trick them or or take advantage of them or any way. He wasn't duplicitous, but he was honest, and he goes on to explain that he didn't come as he said he would ultimately to spare them. In chapter 2 of Second Corinthians, he explains another thing that seems to be refuting a charge from those false apostles. He says, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You might remember that in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul had to explain that a liberty of his, a right of his would be to accept support from the Corinthian brethren in his preaching of the gospel because a worker is worthy of his wages. But he he forgoes that liberty so that the gospel would not be hindered. Evidently, there would have been potential problems Paul foresaw in receiving support from the Corinthians, and maybe it was because the false apostles in their midst were claiming that Paul was simply doing it for the money, peddling the Word of God. In chapter 4, in verse 2 of Second Corinthians, he explains, "...we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully." but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, he is not using the gospel for physical gain. He's not being crafty. He's not peddling the word of God. He also went on to explain some other things. I think one of the things that we're most familiar with is seen in chapter 10 and verse 10, when he said that his letters, they say, this is a claim of those enemies of Paul. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And so they looked at his weak appearance and his 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 weak oratory skills, if you will, and what they're saying, and they claim that he wasn't an apostle, that he's an impostor because of his weak. Appearance, but he explained in chapter four and verse seven that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that is weak vessels, perishing vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. You see, what was po- what was um, what was popular during that time in in that particular region and, and area of Corinth is sophistry, and the sophist really went on who he was in an outer appearance and what he was with regard to his oratory skills. He was an individual with great ability to speak. He was eloquent. And people followed certain philosophers and and sophists because of their outer appearance and because of their oratory talents. But that wasn't what Paul was doing. He was simply trying to hide behind the cross of Christ. And so they attacked his weak presence and speech, if you will, so that, the Corinthians would then in turn turn to them, the false apostles. And Paul's saying that is not what this is about. This is about God's glory. And so Paul defended himself. And that's where we get to our context. In chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians and verse 3, he said, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. The Apostle Paul did not want to hinder the gospel, and each and every action he took and each and every word he spoke reflected that desire to avoid becoming an offense and hindering the gospel. And so with his commendation of self, this is not in contradiction to what he said before that we do not commend ourselves again to you, but it was... In agreement with this understanding that he is a minister of God, a called apostle of Christ. And so the things that he commended himself only involved being a minister of God by God's authority. And so what he continued to do was explain that his ministry was valid, that it was true, and that they had no reason to turn away from him. The problems that they were experiencing and the doubts that had arisen in their hearts because of what the false apostles were trying to plant within their minds was from their own problems. It wasn't anything Paul failed in. He explained in chapter 6 and verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. You see, they should have never waned in their relationship with Paul. But they started listening to people who had no pedigree and no validation from God and the Spirit as being apostles, who were indeed false apostles, as Paul calls them. And they were turning away from Paul by listening to them. Their own affections had been drawn away from Paul into those false apostles at no fault of Paul's, but of their own. So what he was going to do is commend himself in his ministry, speaking of matters he had to endure, things that he was willing to do for the cause of Christ that no doubt these false apostles weren't willing to do. Matters which proved his behavior was just. And a lot of these things contain negative matters. Why would Paul do these things? Why would Paul go through these things? Why would Paul suffer the way he suffered if he was doing this for self-aggrandizement? And starting in verse 8 of this text, after mentioning some things, but our focus is on verses 8 through 10, he gave a list of paradoxes. As defined by New Oxford American Dictionary, a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So this is true with regard to the Apostle Paul's ministry and all the other apostles' ministry that There were certain paradoxes that they experienced and exhibited within their ministry. But I think this will be beneficial to us because this is about being a Christian. And with Christianity and following Christ as true disciples of his, there are going to be various paradoxes that we come into understanding of and that we exhibit throughout our lives and experience because the spiritual and physical don't always mesh together. Sometimes they seem to be contradictory, and so we turn to the spiritual knowing that's what is true and eternal, and what that seems to be is paradoxical in some ways. Consider the first paradox that the Apostle Paul mentioned in his defense of his ministry, and we'll only look at this one, this episode of Pondering Scripture. He says, "...we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed." But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And he says, by honor and dishonor. You see the contradiction there? He commends himself as a minister of God by honor, but also by dishonor. How could he be one that is honored, but also one that is dishonored? Well, I think that we know. I think that we can understand ourselves as those that are taking up our cross and following Christ, that that there's honor in that. It's an honorable thing. But there's also going to be dishonor with it as well. I want us to consider that Christians are to be vessels of honor, but that the vessels of honor that Christians become seem to be dishonorable to the world. But we can rest in the fact that God determines which vessels are honorable and which vessels are dishonorable. In Romans 9 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes, Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He called Not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. This especially concerns those who obey the gospel and those who disobey the gospel. The Jews were being cast away by God, not because they were simply Jews, but because they were Jews who had disobeyed the gospel. They didn't accept the Christ, who is the Son of God. And so there were two groups that are described in Romans 9 as vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, vessels prepared for wrath and vessels that are obviously. Prepared for glory and mercy from God. And it wasn't an individual predestination, but it was this understanding that God determined that the gospel of Christ would save those who believe it. So those who don't believe it are therefore vessels of dishonor. Christians are to be vessels of honor, and God has prepared them for that. But it's something we've got to submit to. We've got to make sure we are those vessels of honor. Paul explains to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold or silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. You get to choose. You get to choose whether you're going to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of of dishonor. But when you make that choice to be a vessel of honor, that is one prepared by God for honor, we also sign up to be a vessel of dishonor to the world. Thus Paul says, by honor and by dishonor. And the individuals who are thinking spiritually minded, they're going to give honor to that, but then there are going to be those who are carnal minded and they're not going to give dishonor or honor, but they're going to give dishonor. We're going to be honored by God in the end. But if we're going to be uh, by honored by God in the end and we're going to, to appear with Christ in glory, then we're going to be dishonored on this earth. We've got to make sure we are valuing each accordingly. What is the most important thing? The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and verse 18 explained that the the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. And so if we're willing to see that the glory is much greater than any negative we'll have to experience on earth, then we're going to choose the dishonor in this earth so that we can be honored in the spiritual matters before God. And that's what Paul's goal was. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 21, he explained that he sought to provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And thus he lived his life and thus we must live ours. Peter explains in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. We don't live like the world. That's dishonorable. The world may see it as honorable, but God certainly doesn't. We live before the world in a way that is honorable, honorable conduct before the Gentiles. This is what Jesus sought to do. He never sought honor from the Jews. He sought honor from God. He said, I do not receive honor from men, John 5, 41. And in verse 44, he explains to those unbelieving Jews, how can you believe, that is, believe him, who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor which comes From the only God. Since they were seeking honor from each other and not God, that's why they rejected Christ, who was receiving honor from God. In chapter 8 and verse 54, he explained, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. We don't seek honor from men, we seek honor from God. But when we seek honor from God, we're certainly going to be dishonored by men. The Apostle Paul had the same mindset in Galatians 1 and verse 10 when he explained, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, I'm going to preach the gospel, is what Paul's saying. So that I can glorify God and then find honor before God in doing His will, I'm not worried about whether men accept me or not. You know, this can further be proven by what Jesus said in his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And it should give us the perspective that the Apostle Paul had and that we all should have as Christians. That while we receive honor from God when we do his will, we'll be dishonored by the world. But that's not a bad thing. That's actually a blessed thing. Consider the words of Jesus in regard to the topic of persecution. He said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can rejoice in the fact that we're being dishonored by the men in the world. They think it's strange that we don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, and then they speak evil of us. But we've got to rejoice in that because we know that they're not the judge, that God is the judge, and that if we're doing what He said to do, then we'll receive honor from Him in the end. I hope that this study was of benefit to you to a degree and that you're blessed by it and that you're blessed by the rest of these topical studies on profitable paradoxes. We'll have four more episodes in this topical series, and then we'll continue on with the study of James chapter 3. Thank you, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you.